The credibility of the sermon, the preacher, and the scriptures are all undermined because we're not really giving God's message. We're we're going to account to God, and he's going to say, why did you say I said that? Because I didn't say that. You're listening to an ongoing discussion on life, ministry, and leadership. This is the Brian Sams Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Brian Sams Podcast. My name is Brian Sams, your host, and today I'm joined once again by my friend, Carrie Schmidt. Carrie, welcome back to the Brian Sams Podcast. Thanks for having me back. I love this topic. I love you as a friend, and I hope we'll be an encouragement to somebody. Absolutely. And i just so thankful we got to actually rekindle our friendship. But, you know, we were in California mm-hmm. together, and then we just kind of inadvertently ran into each other at a conference and kind of looked at each other and started talking and was like, wow man, we really need to, we really need to talk some more. And that was really encouraging. Yeah. And so I always, yeah. I always appreciate your perspective. And, and you know what I'm really excited about in particular is your perspective to the audience on preaching. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. You know, obviously, Carrie, you have a great voice on so many subjects, particularly as related to, you know, gospel-centered focused ministry and leadership style. And of course, most people that are listening to me obviously have read a good deal of your books and have been influenced by you. But I think one area that many people have not heard from you on is on the subject of biblical communication or preaching. I'm glad that we can connect on this episode to talk about preaching because I believe that God has gifted you as a communicator and he's given you a heart for him and you are ministering through the pulpit in a very powerful way through the gifts and skills that God has given you. So I think there's a great deal to benefit here from our listeners through hearing you talk about preaching. I don't really agree with you, but I'll go with you and um, and try to be a blessing. <laughs> well, I, uh, I I I think, but I appreciate uh, your kind words. Well, well, and they're not just flattery. I mean that I thank the Lord for how He's gifted you to preach. Now, today, again, in the broader narrative, what we're doing here is we're doing eight weeks of podcasts on the subject of sermon preparation and preaching, and we're walking through the eight basic steps of creating a sermon. One of the final steps in creating a sermon is the development of application. And application becomes a real critical point of preaching. It's the essential difference between teaching and preaching, whereas teaching is predominantly informational. Preaching is predominantly inspirational. You know, Teaching seeks to inform your mind predominantly, whereas preaching tries to affect your heart and even your volition. And so application is a very important part of preaching. But can I say this? I think application is one of the most dangerous parts of preaching. Let me ask you this question as we get Mm -hmm. started. Why do you think application can be so dangerous in preaching? Or in what ways do you think application can hurt the credibility of a sermon? Man, that is a great question. And and at first glance, I can see, I can almost hear a listener almost mystified that you would even ask that question. Like, how could application be dangerous? And you're so right, Brian. I, I, I don't know as much about your growing up as mine. There was a long season of my early Christian life, not the earliest season, but the season that followed that, where I was inundated with primarily applicational preaching. Mm-hmm. In other words, No context, no real substance theologically or the essence of the Bible, but simply directives, you know, um, just whacking on my will of what I'm supposed to do and teaching me that the Bible is nothing but a book of of application, you know, to make my life better. 
So it's dangerous on so many levels in the sense that we can, when you go that route and you go at the Bible asking, what do I do? You're going to inevitably make the Bible say something it simply does not say. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you can frankly make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. <laughs> oh, so yeah. if, if, if you give me the Bible and say, just turn it into application, ignore its context, ignore what it's really saying, and just, just look for the applications Oh my goodness, you're just handing me a license to abuse it, to slice it and dice it and make it say things it just doesn't say. I can take the scripture, come out from among them and be ye separate. And Brian, I can make that verse be against anything I don't want it before. So like shoelaces, I can be against shoelaces because the world wears shoelaces, which makes it worldly. You know what I'm saying? And we need to come out from among them and be separate. We shouldn't wear shoelaces. I mean, you get what I'm saying? That that narrative can go anywhere I want it to go. Because it's all applicational and and not contextual. So I think another the credibility. Exa- no, 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 that, no. I just thought of something. It just jumped out at me. I had to say it. First John two fifteen through seventeen is the classic. All things application for whatever you want to label as a problem. You just throw love not the world out there and just hammer like you know Justin Bieber haircuts or or right. you know a wire rim glasses. All the things that are almost a joke now. But the sad reality is that's not gone away. I mean that's still very real in some contexts. I had somebody challenge me recently about, I like to listen to people that preach at the Together for the Gospel Conference. And, you know, mm-hmm. H.B. Charles is a personal friend. He's actually mm-hmm. coming on the podcast in a couple of weeks. And about two years ago, the whole theme of the conference was on worldliness. And they actually dealt with things like materialism, sexual sins, mm-hmm. and, and other applications that I think sometimes our churches miss because we're mm-hmm. still stuck on some external standard of application that really doesn't even right. have a root in a solid biblical principle. And that's really scary. Yeah. And the credibility you mentioned, yeah. how does this hurt the credibility? The credibility of the sermon, the preacher, and the scriptures are all undermined because we're not really giving God's message. We're we're going to account to God, and he's going to say, why did you say I said that? Because I didn't say that. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> And that's right. a terrifying thought. Well, when people begin to really get into the word of God for themselves, and God's spirit begins to, sh- to show them the essence of his word, thinking people are going to leave those churches and leave those, those kinds of speakers and leaders because they know the Bible doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. And so the credibility of the whole thing is worn away at the foundation and that pastor is only going to be teaching and preaching people that just really don't think much that's exactly right and and really the the integrity risk is essentially what you just said it's about the word of god it's about the integrity of scripture if we're Mm -hmm. not given proper interpretation first then we have Mm -hmm. shaky at best and dangerous at worst application Mm -hmm. which then Mm -hmm. leaves you as a preacher completely uncredible because um, your message is all of a sudden not even relevant to people that are hungry for the word of God. And that's, that's a real risk, I think, that guys run. And, you know, I think also with the advancement of technology and podcasts and being able to listen to healthy sermons anywhere you want to at any time you want to, it's not like you can hide people in a little subculture somewhere <laughs> and, expect, <laughs> and expect that they're not going to find the truth if they're really a sheep. Exactly, exactly. And those environments become very militant because the leader's giving a lot of directives. Everybody's marching to the 
same drum that the leader is banging. Those environments do not foster thinking. Mm. And so thinking people generally leave those environments and they, they want to be fed in a healthier culture, in a biblical culture, a Bible-rich culture. It raises the level, I'll tell you, as a preacher, it raises the level of preparation and accountability because I know I'm preaching to people who are thinking and I want them to. And if they're, if I'm off on scripture, if I'm bringing an application that really isn't there, they're going to call me on it. Yep. And I, uh, I appreciate that. Let's just rearrange our context for a minute. Let's assume that we're not preaching in an environment like that. Like I am too. I mean, even though I'm in kind of a redneck culture down here, which I mm-hmm. like, cause that's kind of me a little mm-hmm. bit. I still have good people that love the Bible. And if I tried to do something crazy, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to risk losing them, but let's just say I wasn't, let's say, let's say I am a pastor out there or, or somebody listening to this, who's in one of those subcultures, the real danger, more than just losing a healthy sheep. One of the biggest dangers I think a man needs to to stare in the face of is this one day I'm going to give an account to God for how I Mm -hmm. fed the sheep, for how I, for I, how I handled the truth and to me, that's a far greater risk than losing healthy people and creating a weird subculture. So I think that's, a, that's something that preachers need to take consideration. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when it says, preach the word, that's in light of the fact that we are going to give an account for what we say in verse number one, which I think is profound. Hey, so I want to bridge this, uh, diving into application a little bit more. You lecture currently in a series of lectures on New Testament survey at Veritas Baptist College, and, and I'm a teacher in that course as well. And in yours, in your lectures on the book of Philippians, you make this statement, indicatives precede imperatives. Why don't you explain that to our listeners and how relevant it is for application? Man, that's a great question. I want to say it simply, and then I want to give an illustration. To say it simply, who God is and what God has done precedes what God tells me to do mm-hmm. and provides the context and the basis and the motivation for what God tells me to do. So who he is, what he has done who that makes me, and then what he directs me to do. It kind of goes in that order. So another way to say it is we love him because he first loved us, okay? Yeah, Um, right, right. The way I say it to my church family is if we can't get there by loving Jesus, we don't want to get there any Mm. other way. Mm. In other words, I'm not going to manipulate you or coerce you or badger you or drive you to obedience to Scripture you get there by loving Jesus. Well, how do you love Jesus? By learning and discovering how much he loves you. Amen. And it compels you to love him. Mm-hmm. And then that love compels you to serve him. And it just goes so beautifully. It flows so wonderfully. Now, I had a pastor, a well-known pastor actually, one time ask me and challenging me on the gospel centrality concept. And you're right. Uh, I think you said in the last podcast, it's a interpretive framework. It's To me, gospel centrality is simply this, Brian. It's letting the Bible be what the Bible is. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, if you're against gospel centrality, then you're against the Bible because (laughs) the Bible is good news. Cover to cover, it is about the gospel. It's a very intricate, layered story of redemptive history. Actually, let's put a a marker there. Can we put a marker there real quick? Because I I want to just pause and say, if you want to know details about it, I think you've got some episodes on your podcast, and I don't want to dive into Mm -hmm. all the details, but I want to be clear about what we're saying here. I'm not talking about I share the gospel every sermon and I'm not talking about no. I'm passionate about giving the gospel. I've I've heard I've heard some leaders try to take backhand swipes at the concept and say, "Well, well I'm brother, I'm gospel centered because I'm I'm out there giving the gospel all the time." That's not yeah, that's right. not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a a framework of the entire narrative of the Bible that from start to finish 
Jesus is working all things out to the redemption of people for his glory. Start to finish. That's the good news. And it affects how I live. It affects what motivates me, what drives me. And it definitely affects how I preach. That is so great. And the backhand swipes that you just referenced and the immediate shot at, well, this is what I'm doing. I'm winning souls. Therefore, I'm gospel. It it just it betrays a lack of understanding of what we're even talking about. Exactly. It's like, okay, yeah, that would be the outcome. You share the gospel and you win people to Christ. That's certainly a fruit of understanding the gospel. But concept in and of itself, you're right. It's simply letting the Bible be what the Bible is. So anyway, yeah. I had this pastor that said to me, all right, so what does husbands love your wives or children obey your parents from Ephesians have to do with the gospel? And he was kind of being snarky. And wow. I said, well, let me give you an illustration. I said, if you wrote a letter to your wife that was six pages long and uh, in the first three pages, you just talked about how you fell in love with her and the life you had built together and, and the romantic feelings of passion and compassion that you felt for her and what she meant to you. And then the last three pages, you turned, kind of turned a corner and you asked her to do some things for you and to run a couple of errands and, hey, by the way, um, could you get this ready for when I get home and, and don't forget to do this. And you gave her some instructions. And I said, and you sent her that letter and boy, the first three pages, she just, she just loved every word of your love and your adoration and she did you know, follow through on your instructions. And let's say the letter was lost. And we found the letter 3,000 years later or 2,000 years later, but we only found the last three pages. I said, we would pick that up and think, man, this guy didn't even love his wife. Look, he just asked her to do stuff. Mm -hmm. He uh, just tells her what to do and tells her to make his meals for when he's coming home and just gives her instructions. Wow, what a terrible marriage they must have had. Mm. I said, no, you actually need the first three pages of the letter to understand who's writing the letter and how does he feel about this woman that he's writing and what's the basis of all these instructions and and requests and i said and once you understand the basis wow they they take on a whole new light mm-hmm. i said so if you go at ephesians 5 and 6 without covering chapters 1 2 and 3 then you are removing the love of god and the glory of the gospel from the instructions of god to his people mm-hmm. and it would be the same thing i said so what does the gospel have to do with Ephesians 5 and 6? I said everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I said it's from the heart of God who redeemed us and saved us and sealed us and transforms us. And and that God says, now live out the gospel. Like, mm-hmm. here's, here's what the gospel is and what it's made you. And now Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. 1, 2, and 3 is here's what the gospel is and who it calls you. And 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians is this is what the gospel looks like, yep. lived out. And I said it has everything to do with with it so that's to me what the indicatives precede the imperatives that's really what we're talking about yeah that's solid okay so now i want to ask this question because this gets tricky with some people i think how does a gospel-centered philosophy of ministry affect preaching imperatives because i think this is a this is a really tricky issue for some people because admittedly carrie i think you got guys on two sides of the ditch you got a more legalistic unbiblical model over here on one side that is all imperatives no gospel on the other Mm -hmm. hand you've got a group of people who are trying to be theologically sound but it's almost like they have robbed the christian life of even responsibility and duty basically it's almost like hey i'm in christ and almost like nothing else matters my challenge to that is there are still imperatives 
They're in the, mm-hmm. the words of Jesus. They're in the epistles. Mm-hmm. They're very clear. So how do you see the gospel-centered philosophy shape in the way that you actually present actual imperatives in Scripture? Well, I will do much more for Jesus in love than I ever will do out of obligation. Mm. So you're speaking to core motivation. And you're right, Brian, that those that preach only the imperatives, they just turn God into Adolf Hitler. March my direction. Do what I say. Okay? And then those that preach only a warm and fuzzy love with no imperatives, they're creating a false dichotomy. And, and that's going to lead to licentiousness. Well, God loves me no matter what. Okay? But it, and neither one really understands the love of God. What you're painting, really, what you're describing is what we see in the prodigal and his brother. The, mm-hmm. the bad brother left home running from the oppression of the father. The good brother stayed home resentfully, right? And I had a guy challenge me one time. He said this. He said, if you can't do right in love, you still have to do right. I pushed back. I said, listen, the cure for not wanting to do right. In other words, if I don't want to, if if I'm not motivated by love, the cure is not suck it up and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) The cure is get reconnected to your first love. This is what Jesus said to the church in Revelation 3. You've lost your first love. You're doing, but you're not, you're not loving. He said, Isaiah said that to the the people of Israel. They they honor me with their lips. They're doing the right stuff, but their hearts are far from me. Mm -hmm. So here's my point, Brian. There is no real dichotomy between loving and doing, loving responsibility, loving duty. Okay. And the best way to see it is in parenting or marriage. Okay. If someone who does not love me, let me go back to Adolf Hitler. If Adolf Hitler called and said, you have to do this for me, I'm going to resent him. Okay, I'm gonna right because well, this is just an authoritarian dictator forcing his will on me. But if Dana calls me and says, Hey, could you do this for me? I'm gonna say, Wow, absolutely, I love you. That's it's, great. it's a different relationship. So, a, a gospel shaped relationship is gonna cause me to fall in love with God, mm. and then I'm gonna love obeying Him. Yeah, and I think, and I'm gonna see His imperatives as, uh, as acts of love. Oh, absolutely, and I think it's even interesting how that, on the libertine side, people that wanna kinda throw off any kind of expectations that Christ might have for them, it's because they don't, they may view Him as a master, but even there, they don't view Him as the right kind of master. I mean, yeah, Jesus is our master, but He's the ultimate master. He's the, right. he's the most gracious master. In fact, I, I used to say this in a sermon, I said, in, uh, in Romans 6, God did not save us to no master. He saved us to a new master. And, yeah. the, and the great news is this is the much better situation to be in. Here, here's what I would insert is that we are saved from, okay, let me say it this way. Man-made lo- the gospel, the love of God gives me permission to cast off man-made laws and I have no obligation to them. Mm but then lovingly uh, take up and embrace the lordship of Jesus and his loving laws. Okay. That is so good. So men, the legalist makes up laws. Okay. Mm. Those that understand the liberty of Christ, it's not a liberty to do whatever you want to do. It's a liberty to come into his love and to let him lord your life, which is the best thing for you. So 
The people that get angry at us, Brian, for that kind of talk are usually the control freaks that just want everybody to do what they think is right. Yeah, and the um, problem, yeah, the problem is they that they're not willing, I think, to trust the Holy Spirit to let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit through the words of Christ actually minister true transformation in someone's life. It's like, right? Do I have to boss you around, or can I just preach the Word and give application as God gave it, and trust Him yeah. with the life transformation yes. in someone's heart? And I think that's a really yes. powerful deal. One final thing that I want to touch on, because I think this is so critical, and that is determining proper application and even proper imperatives. Some guys are really, really challenged in this area. Let me give you one example that mm-hmm. is, it's the classic, but it, it is an example. Guys who, I mean, I've seen, you, you see these video clips all the time, and believe it or not, there are still people out there who actually would take Deuteronomy 22 and preach that... It's an abomination for a woman to wear that which pertains to a man and actually use it to say, therefore, it it would Mm -hmm. be wrong for a woman to wear a pair of pants just like it would be wrong for a guy to wear a skirt. Well, there's all kinds of problems here, okay? Yeah. I mean... Where do you start? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We... Believe it or... I wish we had more time, but we don't. But but there's so many problems with it. And let me start with one problem. One problem is that's an Old Testament commandment that was never bared repeating in the New Testament. Problem number one. Problem number two is they're not consistent with the actual context of that same passage. For instance, in the same passage, it Mm -hmm. says you're not supposed to sow different kinds of seeds in your field. In other words, you can't plant beans and corns in the same field. And then in the same passage, it says that women can't wear mixed fabrics in their garments. So a lady that doesn't wear a muumuu would also be out of fellowship with God. These are things that nobody, nobody says anything about. I've never heard anybody talk about having a garden with tomatoes and, and beans. And I've never heard anybody talk about a woman wearing a skirt and a blouse as with separate garment mm. fabrics. So inherently, there's a major mistake here, right? <laughs> And it's I, flat abuse of the Bible. Absolutely. It's nothing but abuse. And although we don't have time to dive ahead. into it, it's just whetting your appetite for the things we'll be teaching in our class, one of which is knowing how to determine biblical imperative God's way. I'm going to share a link, Carrie, into the show notes of the sermon I preached on navigating the gray areas because mm-hmm. I deal with this subject in the beginning of that sermon because if you do not know how to determine For the 21st century, what is an actual imperative of Jesus for the church, you are going to get into some serious weeds in your Mm -hmm. preaching. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm glad for your example in this area, and thank you for joining me today. Carrie, any just final word of encouragement you'd want to share with our listeners about preaching? Well, I would just say, you know, the passage you brought up is just just a prime example of really, really bad exegesis Mm -hmm. and a really bad hermeneutic and a person that that goes at the scripture that way is oh my goodness brian they're just destroying the bible and they're destroying god's people because they're destroying the bible they're making the bible say what they want it to say instead of what it says they need to take a hermeneutics class at veritas yeah (laughs) Um, or, or the or the advanced hermeneutics class, which was a great class. I took it last year. They need to understand the rules of how do we let the Bible interpret us instead of us 
making the Bible say what we want yeah. it to say because God has a message and we better say what he said because right. it's not ours to mess with. Yeah, let's be careful not to misquote God. Man, that's a bad thing yeah. to do. Carrie, I love you, man. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, Thanks for joining the Brian Sam's podcast. Go to briansams.com and get the show notes here. And until next time, God bless you guys and have a great day.